You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Hello, Ghost Family. Sam here. Welcome to a special bonus edition of Family Ghosts. Today, while you're waiting for the next episode of Season 4, which will come out next week, I am excited to introduce you to another podcast and a story that's a lot like one you might hear on our show. The podcast I want to tell you about is called The Secret Room, and it's hosted by a guy named Ben Ham. In every episode of the show, a guest tells Ben a secret they've never revealed anywhere else before, and the story associated with that secret. The stories vary in tone, but they're always incredibly specific and compelling, from a guy whose parents think he's in law school when he is, in fact, working as a flight attendant, to a mother's deathbed confession that her daughter's secret father is a movie star, to a woman having a love affair with a man on death row. But what's so compelling to me about The Secret Room isn't just the secrets. It's the fact that the people Ben interviews are almost always using aliases. And that's because the secrets they're telling are so sensitive that it could be detrimental to their lives if people knew about them which means that when they tell Ben these stories, it never feels like an act of self-promotion. Their whole ability to tell the story is predicated on the fact that no one will know who they actually are. Instead, it often seems to me like they're telling the story because they feel like the truth is too important to keep inside, that it's worth the risk of revealing this secret in the name of easing the emotional burden that comes with keeping it and that maybe they can help someone who's listening and who's been through something similar feel less alone. Every episode of The Secret Room is a wild ride, but the one I'm going to play you today is kind of a quintessential family ghosts story. It has a very provocative premise. A woman reveals that when her brother died, everyone around her was heartbroken, but she herself was actually happy he was gone. It's a delicate, nuanced, and surprising story, and Ben handles the whole thing with great care and empathy. And on top of all that, something truly spooky happens in the middle of the episode that completely defies explanation. I think you're going to love it. And if you do, follow The Secret Room wherever you're listening to this. And if you're curious to learn more about who Ben is and how he approaches his work on the show... I just posted an interview with him in our Patreon feed, which you can access by joining the Kindred Spirits, our community of listeners who contribute $5 per month to sustain our work here at WALT-FM. Please consider joining if you have the means, and either way, please enjoy this remarkable episode of The Secret Room. I'll talk to you next week. So tell me your secret. In high school, my friends and I around this time of year used to grab up people's old pumpkins from their porches and we would uh, drive around the neighborhood and toss them at things. One night, uh, an ill-aimed throw took out the back window of an RV. We never got caught and we thankfully never had to pay for it. I also hope nobody was sleeping in there.
Hi, my name is Louise, and my secret is that I pretend I'm sad that my brother, who was beloved by all, is dead. But I'm not, and I'll tell you how I know that's okay with him. We're going to explore what would cause a sister to be happy that her brother, a man who easily made deep friendships and was adored by everyone in his social circles, is gone. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely. This has been an interview long in the making. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we finally get to connect, though. Yeah, me too. I think I'm ready. I don't know. There's something a little nerve-wracking about telling this story. I've tried not to actually think about it too much in the last few days or weeks or months. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of it today. All right. Yeah. Louise joined me from Kansas City, Missouri. Who's the older sibling here? Um, that's a good question. So I'm older, okay. but only by 11 months. And we'll find out what happened over the last year that made her decide to come forward with her secret about Jesse. When I first told you my secret, I was still just really angry with him. And it's probably been like nine months or a year almost. Uh-huh. Yeah, it could be since we first talked. And since then, my perspective on the whole situation has really changed. Why? What changed over the last year? This is The Secret Room a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Hi, Ben. I'm really glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit nervous, I'm not going to lie, but I'm a, I'm think my telling my story will be very cathartic for me and kind of healing actually. Oh, that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear that and I know that I for one am really interested in hearing your story. I've been told all my life that my side of this story is not important and I should not tell it. Oh. Um, and so I think um, there's, like I said, I'm a little nervous to just lay it out there. How many people know your secret? I can think of one person who knows for sure my secret and only because she's the only person who knows that I'm doing this podcast. Um, and she's just my dearest friend in the world. She also knew my brother his whole life and went through everything that I went through with him, but had a very different experience of a friendship with him uh, than I did. That's my cousin. I kind of told her because I was, there was a lot of anger when my brother died that I had towards him and towards other people in my life um, regarding him. And so that made it really easy to be, to look very sad, I think, you know, during the memorial and during the burial and um, around the kitchen table when we were spending time together as a family. And truth be told, like there was something very sad about the circumstances of his life but him dying was just a relief to me. And there was something about it that actually was good news to me. What was your relationship with your brother like when you were, you know, kids? So when we were really little, everybody thought we were twins. We were kind of each other's de facto playmates. He was a good brother to me. And then once we started school and we're in elementary school, things just changed with him. I don't really understand why. It may have just been all of the other kids around, but he definitely started kind of enjoying making me feel like pain, I would say. Um, and he was never physically abusive towards me, but he got a kick out of making me the butt of the joke and bullying me. Anytime one of my friends would call the house and he would answer the phone, he would say, Louise told me she doesn't want to be friends with you anymore. She hates you and that she hopes she never sees you again. And obviously my friends would be hurt and mad and upset and I had no idea this was happening because he would just hang up the phone and then I'd go to school the next day and all the girls would be mad at me. All my friends were mad at me because of, of course they would be. They 
believed him and thought that I was just this big jerk, you know? Right. I mean, who who would tell a lie like that? Right. Yeah, why wouldn't they believe yeah, him? Yeah, because he, he was just really nice to them, always. So it, it started happening at a really young age. And I actually once tried to pull that on him when his friend called, and I tried to do the same thing, and I got in so much trouble. How did you get in trouble? Well, he told my mom, and my mom got really upset with me. Obviously, of course she did. She made me call the neighbor boy back and say, I just was lying, I made that up, um, and I'm really sorry. It was always a no-win situation with him. Did you ever try telling your mom that I only did that because he was doing that to me? Yes, and she just didn't believe me. This is kind of a funny story, actually. When we were even littler, we were sitting in the back seat of my mom's car. We were calling each other naughty names, you know, like poop head and dummy and fart face. And, <laughs> and so in the spirit of this, I actually called him a fuck face. Racing the ante. And I was probably six and he was four right i was like oh that was a good one you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take it up a notch <laughs> and it was funny we were laughing and i called him a fuck face and he got out of the car and ran right to my mom and said mom molly just called me a fuck face and oh my god uh, i mean her biggest thing was go to your room but that was devastating to me you know just for him to turn on me I didn't really understand how that was different. I was like, you know, but mom, he called me a poopy head and a fart face, you know. Mm -hmm. How is that different? Yeah. So he was always sort of poised to get you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was it was confusing to me because I just didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me that a kid would treat another kid like that for seemingly no reason. You guys are getting older. Does the relationship change or, or does his behavior toward you intensify? What what happens as you guys, you know, grow up? Yeah, I would say it definitely intensified. As we went into junior high and high school, it got much worse where I would keep my bedroom door locked. I didn't trust people in general. He would do a lot of things like have his friends call me and say that they had crushes on me and liked me and then do like horribly mean things to me after that in front of classmates and, you know, on the bus. He would get all of his friends together and hide in my closet and as I was going to bed, you know, jump out and scare me, which is, I think, kind of actually normal sibling behavior. Mm -hmm. But to me, having been kind of living with this, it seemed like more. And then it was kind of the same theme. In high school, one of my best friends came to me one day laughing and said, Jesse and I are trying to see how many of your friends we can make hate you. Wow. It was hurtful. He then started telling kind of really hideous lies about not just me, but my whole family to people. And I think it was in an effort to gain sympathy and to get whatever he wanted, you know? Now you say your whole family, but... Yes, yeah. His whole family too, right? His whole family too, mm-hmm. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay, and so to what end? What kind of sympathy would he get? I think that he was kind of a classic textbook narcissist and he I think just told horrible lies just to get things like a place to stay for the night or some money from someone what kind of lies would he tell he told uh, his girlfriend and his friends that my dad when we were little kept us locked in dog cages in the basement for weeks on end what and then he told them don't talk to my sister about this because she will have a nervous breakdown because she can't deal with it. And don't tell our other brother about it 
because he was so little that he doesn't remember it and I don't want to hurt him. And we didn't really find this out until after he passed away. Um, I had known that he was telling everybody lies, but I didn't know it was so extreme. It's like he's controlling the way people think of you. Oh, absolutely. Without you knowing. Without me knowing. And the way people think about my parents. I mean, my poor dad had this reputation among his friends as being this monster, like an absolute monster, which is so unfair because my dad is a really good dad, you know, and was doing his best to deal with this kid who was lying and stealing and dropped out of school and was doing drugs. He would just go away for weeks at a time and we didn't know where he was. And my dad was doing his best and my brother had his friends and his friends' parents thinking and believing this about my dad and um, thinking my mom was complicit and I was, you know, fragile. And he just really had everybody really manipulated. Wow. Yeah. A moment ago, you talked about how you kept your door locked because mm-hmm. you felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. Was there some catalyst for that? I mean, why? what led you to do that? Well, he would often just barge in with his friends. He would know that I would be, you know, just back home from the beach or something, changing out of my swimsuit and barge in with his friends. I mean, he just would purposely try to humiliate me. And so it just felt safer to keep my door locked. He had no boundaries, you know. I can see that. <laughs> trying, just trying to take all this in. And yet it was so true and it was happening. And to me, it's, it's funny. Like, I almost feel like I'm like, oh, Ben... You're overreacting. It's really not that bad. Because he was a master at making me feel like, I mean, it was gaslighting. He died just six years ago. It was hard because at that time in high school and even into like my early 20s, we had a lot of similar friends. And my friends all thought he was the shit. Like he was just the coolest guy. Everybody loved him. I was by no means like some lonely loser. I had my good friends, but even they would do things like occasionally be like, oh, your brother's so cool. And I would just kind of be like, yeah, he's great. I never told anybody what he was really doing because I felt like it was my fault or I was I was just ashamed of it. Part of his strategy seemed to be that he was building himself up partly by keeping you down. Absolutely. Especially, I think, with my parents. They did kind of believe that I was just being too sensitive He was able to manipulate your parents in such a way that they favored him? Well, that's interesting. Definitely my mom. My dad was, he was more fair. My dad had been a long haul truck driver. And so he was only home on weekends. I feel like he kind of just heard from my mom and my brother about me, especially my mom. And I think my mom was just hearing from my brother that I was doing all this horrible stuff and it was never him. And this is what I really struggled with when I decided to share the story or not. I'm hoping that my mom never hears it because it would absolutely break her heart. Because she would never want to admit this is true. Well, it's very kind of you to want to protect her from the truth. Yeah. But also then I do feel like that is kind of part of the problem. And I feel like I do have a right to tell my story and have it be heard. And I'm not trying to shame her anything what's in the past is in the past um she definitely favored him and then when my dad stopped trucking he was home more i think he saw the unevenness on both sides i think there were some times when i was out of line where i would react really emotionally to things that my brother had done that i maybe you know could have 
dealt with it better and he would try to coach me on that. Do you think maybe you're being a little hard on yourself there? I mean... I might be. You were having a reaction to his assault on you. You know, his emotional assault. Yeah. My dad didn't ever punish me for that. He just tried to talk to me about that. Did you ever try telling your parents, hey, this is what's going on here? I've been terrorized by this guy for years. Oh, no! And... Ben, are you there? Uh-huh. I just lost you on my I just headphones. They powered off. Then our our connection dropped. Hello? And what happened next is something I've never experienced in a secret room interview before. All right, we're back. All right, Whoa. here we are. Whoa. Nope, we weren't back. I didn't know what was going on. At first, Louise thought it was a problem with her earbuds, but after some testing, she thought there was something more to it, something supernatural. And this was an extraordinary experience for me, I have to say. I've never lost a connection like that before. I've never heard that kind of interference before. Hello? Louise, what's going on? Are you there? All right, here we are. And it's never taken so many tries, over 15 minutes, to restore a lost connection before. It, it was just odd. I'm ready. Okay, great. Uh, so, Louise, we're just connecting after a little break. Yep. <laughs> we had some technical <laughs> difficulties. Yes, like <laughs> a lot of technical difficulties. <laughs> what do you attribute that to? Honestly, I think it's my brother, and I know I sound crazy saying that, but I really do. He interferes with my electronics all the time. You're starting to give me, like, little chills down my back. I tried calling you, you tried calling me, I tried calling my cousin, the same thing happened. Yeah. Then my cousin and I was like, I know this is weird, but can we talk to Jesse for a minute and let him know that I'm not going to trash him or throw him under the bus? Well, I never heard any interference on a telephone call like that before. That was pretty unique. That was weird. I have never heard that either. And I tried calling my cousin, who I had just been talking to. And I mean, that was weird. Yeah. And I, I actually took my earbuds and I tried to listen to Pandora and it was fine. Wow. So I don't think it's the earbuds. Like, they would just have made that same sound, wouldn't they have? And listen to Louise describe what was going on with her iPad. It was just All right. out of the ordinary. And it's an iPad? Yeah. And it said YYYXXX across the screen? Yeah, and like space and like some numbers. That's really weird. I know, it was really strange. And I tried to take a video of it, but it didn't work on my phone for some reason. I don't know why. Like I said, I feel like a little bit weird being like, oh, yeah, this is happening, and I have no proof of it. <laughs> right. Well, I believe you. <laughs> okay. Okay, so now, now it's recording. Now everything's fine, so maybe it's just a weird malfunction of technology. Got a lot of malfunctions here. I'll keep my eye on it, though. Okay. 
Did I ask you if you had um, tried to talk to your parents about this? You were just asking me that. Did you tell your parents that, like, he's doing this horrible stuff to me? He's terrorizing me. Well, I never used the word terrorizing, but I would be like, he did this and that's not cool. Like, that's unfair. And there actually were a few times that they did try to help me. Being like, well, do you have a friend's whose house you could stay at? What? And I honestly felt more like they were just like, can you just go away for a while? Wow. And I did stay at a friend's house for a while. You had to stay at a friend's house because you felt so unsafe uh, from your brother's presence in, in the house that you lived in with him and your parents. Yeah, I would say it was more that my parents just didn't really want to deal with the shit anymore. You know, and they were like, it would be easier to send her away to a friend's house then it would be to send him to a friend's house. So they were aware that there were problems between you guys. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you had to go live at somebody else's house for a while. Yeah, but I thought the problem was me. You know, where it was sort of like, well, if you're unhappy here, maybe you should find a new place to go to. Do you think your brother was enjoying that? Immensely. Actually, that's interesting you asked that. I've never been asked that before. But yeah, absolutely. I think he was enjoying it. I think that he definitely wanted to seem like the more normal one, and I was the one who needed the extra help. My mom would threaten me of, you know, you're crazy, you need to see a psychiatrist, and I was like, I feel like I'm actually the only normal one here. But I feel, I felt sad. I felt also like a little bit betrayed because I felt like he he should be getting help. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah. Did you ever try to confront your brother about it? Like, hey, you know, (laughs) Jesse... Can you just lay off? (laughs) I did. And how did those conversations go? The last time, actually, that I really talked to him, I was living with my boyfriend at the time. We were engaged, and I invited both of my brothers over to make sushi. All of a sudden, all these random people, like, showed up and said hello and then disappeared with Jesse. And I was like, where did he go? What's going on? We're just having a nice sushi dinner. What's happening here? And I go and knock on my bathroom door and I open the door and they're all doing lines of coke off the back of my toilet. There's like five people in there. I look at Jesse and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And he was like, whatever, nothing. We're not doing anything. I was just trying to buy some weed. And like, quite honestly, we all smoke weed. And We've been smoking weed, and it's not something you have to do in secret in the bathroom, you know? Right. Sure enough, the four other people that were in there with him were, like, gone without a trace. Like, just out of there. Never saw them again. They just left. They just left. Yeah, they just went right out the front door. And it was another situation where he made me look like I was overreacting. And he was so loved by everybody, and everybody just believed him. He was very charismatic. And he just kept saying, oh, we were just, I was just buying weed. I was, I would never do coke. I would never do that. And I actually didn't speak to him after that for years. I tried actually to call him and be like, you know, what happened? You owe me an apology or an explanation. And he told me to fuck off and he never wanted to speak to me again. Oh, nice. Lo and behold, I was getting married. And and so I didn't invite him to my wedding. And there was a big fallout for that. And so he continued to terrorize you after school, after graduation, after you were living together into adulthood. Yeah, yeah. Amazing he could maintain that hold over you. Well, and honestly, I feel kind of like a rube because I just kept trying to make him like me. And I really thought it was 
a problem with me. Well, you'd been conditioned so well by that point, you know. I mean, he'd really he'd yeah. worked his his mojo on you, just like he did everybody else. I mean, yeah. You even said that he had you believing some of his lies, almost. You know, you were questioning yourself. Oh, always. And the thing has been that he and I had a lot of the same friends, and they all thought he was just the coolest, nicest, sweetest guy. I honestly think that that was part of his just trying to torment me. Full stop. It's a big word to use. And I he was never diagnosed to be a sociopath or a psychopath. But I do think that he had no ability to empathize. And so you have another brother. Yes. Is is the other brother older or younger? Nine years younger. And so was he a victim of Jesse also? Yes. Yeah. In my opinion, he was. But Jesse always made it sound like it was my idea. Jesse would lock him out of the house in his underwear when he was little. He had a habit of taking my little brother and putting him on top of the refrigerator when he was like two or three and couldn't get down. And he thought it was hilarious. I always thought it was awful. But the family memory is that it was me and Jesse doing this together. In reality, I was coming and getting my little brother down off the fridge And kind of a funny story, actually, is that after Jesse was cremated and we brought him home, my little brother actually put him on top of the fridge and was like, how do you like it? (laughs) (laughs) And we all had a good laugh about it. We all had a good laugh about it because it's one of those family stories that was so funny. But really, it was kind of awful that he did that. You know, who who puts a three-year-old, a two-year-old on top of a fridge and walks away for hours, you know? Oh, my God. I mean, for hours. Your little brother's lucky he didn't fall off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly... It was so funny, but it wasn't funny. How old was Jesse when he died? So he actually died six years and like six days ago um, from this interview that we're doing. And he was 33, 11 months younger than me, and I'm 40. How did he die? This is uh, just more of an intrigue to the story, actually. So according to his death certificate, the cause of death is still unknown. He started using drugs probably when he was like 13, 14, pretty heavily, like dropping acid, ecstasy, shrooms, marijuana, coke, heroin. That was all like, you know, 90s kind of drugs. I literally don't think that I saw him sober a day past the age of 14. Oh my goodness. He definitely had addiction issues. I think at the end of his life, it probably was more alcohol and opioids. He denied that he had any problems. And ironically, they found nothing other than prescribed levels of prescribed medications in his system, which is shocking. Tell me about the last months of your brother Jesse's life. It was more like the last year and a half that was a very different life than what he had been living. He had always had a girlfriend that he lived with. Things were going okay for him. And then his girlfriend left him. He lost his job. And he was kind of living in squalor. And it was really sad. In his apartment, he got evicted. So I think he realized the only way to really survive with a roof over his head, because my parents at that point were kind of like fed up. And he knew I didn't have a place for him and my little brother didn't have a place for him was to um, go to the local hospital and say that he was suicidal. And he did that literally for like a year and they would release him because he obviously wasn't. And it got really, really crazy at the end. Like it was this full on quagmire of like addiction and mental illness and lies. And it was really sad. Um, But he essentially lived 
at this hospital facility that's meant to be lived in for like three days at a time. Like when people are seriously in crisis and need a place to be. There were so many crazy lies at the end in that time period. One of his theories is that he was just so tall that he hit his head on doorways and that gave him a traumatic brain injury and that's why he was suffering. He wasn't taller than most doorways, but he was pretty tall. The other was that he, you know, had been kept in a cage by my dad as a kid and this was just the fallout of that. The other is that he had been a schizophrenic for a few years and wasn't anymore. I don't think that can happen without treatment. <laughs> I could be wrong. I think he just was getting old and tired and didn't know what to do. As far as I knew, he had lost all of his friends because he had kind of fucked them all over. I later learned that that wasn't exactly true when we had his memorial service. Because everybody loved him so much? Yes. And I thought people would be there having the same feelings as me because of where he ended up at the end. But he just was so ashamed of where he was at the end that he never reached out to any of his friends. Mm, so they didn't really know. No, they had no idea. Even people that he had lived with for years in his late 20s, early 30s, had no idea that he had any sort of mental health issues. It absolutely shocked me because it was so obvious to me for so long. His girlfriend came to my family's house after he passed away and we all spent time together and she she brought up the fact that he had been schizophrenic. And she also finally told me in confidence about how it was really hard to be there that night after he passed away with my dad because of what my dad had done to us. And I was really confused and I said, what do you mean what my dad has done to us? And she said, well, I know that I'm not supposed to talk to you about this, but I know that he kept you in cages in the basement for weeks on end. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, what do you mean? What am I talking about? And she was like, look, I know it's really hard for you to hear this. And I was like, it's just not true is the thing. You know, it's just not true. So what what did she think? Did she believe you or did or did she believe him? I think at that time they had been separated for about four or five years and she had met this great man and, you know, started a family and she's a beautiful person. The thing about people like my brother is that they find these amazing, beautiful people who are so giving and so loving and they dupe them. And so this woman was just had the biggest heart ever. And she realized really quickly what was going on. And I think she just felt so awful that she believed him. Wow. Um, and I think she felt really stupid because he was really good. But to most people, especially around the time of, you know, his passing and the funeral, mm -hmm. you pretended to be sad when you really weren't. I did. I did. Because we had a memorial service for him rather than having a funeral. We had DJs because he had been part of the rave scene. We invited everybody that he ever knew. Literally like 500 people showed up and every single one of them told me that he was like a brother to them and he's the reason that they got into music or art or whatever it was that they were passionate about. Wow. If only he could have been a brother to you. That is exactly what I was thinking, Ben. He was such an asshole to me and he was such a jerk to me. Like, I was so angry that it made it easier for me to look sad because I was crying. 
out of frustration and anger. But you're just biting your lip. And people just assumed that I had this awesome brother who I was just missing. Who found him when he passed? The woman who he was living with. So when he was in the hospital, in the psych ward and like getting help, he met uh, either, I can't remember exactly, either a woman or her mom who was in there with him. And so he ended up living with this woman and her like four-year-old child in some basement apartment because he is such a nice guy for free because they just met. I have a really hard time with this woman because I'm like, you have a, a tiny child and you're just letting some random guy you met at the psych ward live with you because he's nice. Anyways, that's just me being judgmental. But that's who he was living with. And he had, according to her, gone out the night before with this woman who was notoriously his drug dealer. We all knew that she was his drug dealer. He had gone out partying with them the night before and gone out to some clubs and gone out to do whatever. And that uh, he came home at four in the morning and had been, according to her, only drinking beer. I would be shocked if I know that he just only had a few beers. Then she went to check on him at like eight in the morning. And uh, she said that he was having difficulty breathing, but she asked him if he was okay and he said he was fine. And then uh, she went to check on him again like 20 minutes later and he just said, I'm fine, leave me alone. And then uh, a few hours later she went back in and he had died. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so how were you notified of his death? Um, My husband and my, like, six-month-old child and I had just gotten back from the cabin and I went to take a shower after I put her to bed and I came downstairs and um, my husband at the time said your dad called and honestly I had been waiting for this call I knew it was coming I said oh and he said he wants me to tell you that your brother died your brother Jesse died how did you know the call was coming Oh, just because he was so sick and so tired and so done. You were prepared. Yeah. And so when you heard the news, what was your immediate reaction? I just cried. And honestly, the if I go back to that moment, I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you where we were sitting. I can tell you what lights were on. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of relief. And it, it just sort of all came gushing out of me. And it was... It was if I'm just being honest, because this is the Secret Room podcast and I can just be honest. Yes, yes. I was crying because it was such a relief that I would never, I was free from him. Yeah. He had caused so much drama in my life. He tried to kill himself the week before my wedding that he wasn't invited to. And he took my parents' attention away from that and broke their hearts that week, you know. Did you feel guilty for feeling relief? Not in that moment, I didn't. Did you have anybody about you that you could share this relief with? You know, somebody that, that would understand? Like, did your husband know what, you know, what he had put you through? And you could say, oh, thank, you know, thank goodness this is, I'm free from this. No. So you just had to keep that all in. And my husband and I are now divorced. We divorced not too long after that. We just had an understanding that it was because I was sad. Yeah. And it was a really sad situation. Yeah, of course. Really, it was just like, you know, when you're overwhelmingly relieved about something and you just cry as sort of like a, like, you're just so happy almost. I don't know. That sounds horrible. I feel horrible for feeling that way. 
I kind of get it. I just, I just, you know, I'm just imagining you having all of these reactions, you know, all of these emotions and feelings so contradictory, you know, to how maybe you felt you should have been feeling or yeah I just wish that you would have had somebody you could tell because that might have made it a little better absolutely so Louise during the course of this interview we had some technical difficulties we did you attribute them potentially to you know Jesse getting a little upset from the beyond about this interview the reason why I thought that the interference was because of him is because I've had a few different experiences with him interfering with my electronics and also just with like showing up randomly and in ways that I know some people would find unbelievable. I know that he's trying to communicate with me from like the beyond. I never believed in ghosts. I never really believed in any of that. And then when Jesse passed away, my daughter was only about six months old. We lived in an old house and I just didn't believe in ghosts, whatever. She had one of those little music tables that people will put their babies at to like keep them occupied. They stand there and they like play music on them. Yeah. I had basically lived at my parents' house with her for two weeks after Jesse died. I finally went back to my house and woke up one morning and she and I were just gonna go to the park and like try to resume normal life. We were walking downstairs and all of a sudden, we weren't close to it at all, this music table started to play music. Wow. I thought it was just a weird malfunction. And so I kind of walked over to it and checked it out. It didn't play anything else. And then uh, as I was like, oh, well, I guess it was nothing. I, you know, I talked to my baby all the time because that's what you're supposed to do. I guess it's nothing. It started playing again. And then I kind of got this feeling like maybe my brother was there. And I said, maybe it's Jesse. And my daughter at the time looked up at the ceiling in the corner of the room we were in, and she started clapping and laughing way up at the ceiling. And the music started playing again when she was doing that. And I just started crying. You witnessed all this. Yeah, I was holding her when this was happening, and it was just us home. Nobody else was home. This toy had never played music before on its own. I said to her, I think it is Jesse. And if it is Jesse, I hope that he knows how sad I am that he's gone because I don't think he ever knew how much that I actually loved him. Hmm. And I hope that he knows that I forgive him and I hope that he forgives me too. And she started laughing and clapping again and the music started playing again. Wow. And I started, I was just crying and I was like, well, let's just get out of the house because this is now getting kind of scary, you know? Uh, You've sent chills down my back again. (laughs) (laughs) So then I have my other brother who I've talked about, my younger brother, and about a week after this all happened, I said, hey, let's go, let's go just go get a happy hour together and just talk about everything because it's been a week and and had a beer or two and I was talking to him and I told him the story of this music thing and my daughter and what happened. And I came home and I had moved this music machine up into our bathroom because it was like where I needed her to be occupied. So I literally sat down to pee and all of a sudden the music thing starts playing Stop. a song that Jesse and I used to sing as kids. Oh my God. That wasn't on, it wasn't, it was Camp Down Races, like Camp Down Races, five miles long, do-da, do-da. Started to play that song. And I was like, I don't think that song is on the repertoire, you know. I finished doing my business and went over to it and played the 
button, pushed the button like 50 times to see if it played the song. It didn't play it. And so I feel like that was kind of his way of letting me know, like, I heard you guys talking today and I'm, that really was me. And I really do forgive you. And I know you forgive me. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, what does he have to forgive you for? What did you do? That's a good question. Nothing. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Here's the thing. I think people treat people like this because they have a problem in their brain that's actually a diagnosable illness. And I think that my brother had that. And I think that part of the reason why he treated me like he did is because he was on some level jealous of the way that I was able to connect with people easily. It's funny because actually my mom actually told me that. You know, I said, I, I just was so hard to connect with him. And she said, but Louise, it's because he was jealous of you. My mom had never acknowledged anything like that before. And it was really powerful to me. Um, because my whole story was that he was just this asshole. <laughs> like, that was it. I honestly think that he didn't like himself. Like, he hated himself, I think. And I think he was really jealous of the people in his life who had these genuine relationships. I mean, why else would he try to sabotage my friendships, you know? This this narrative that I'm giving you right now, this is all only because of the times that I feel like he came to me after his death to say, I hear you and I'm sorry. If those things hadn't happened with that, like, music playing machine, I would still just think he was an asshole. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's an incredible story. Well, and it's funny because when I first told you my secret, I was still just really angry with him. And it's probably been like nine months or a year almost. Uh-huh. Yeah, it could be since we first talked. And since then, my perspective on the whole situation has really changed. Why? What changed over the last year? I think it's partly just the catalyst of knowing that I was going to do this interview someday made me start thinking about it a little bit more. I was still really angry, and I still wanted to protect my parents from any of my bad feelings. And then I think the thought, just the thought in the back of my mind of doing this interview over those months. And then also I've had other visits from him since then that just made me think this was an okay thing to do, you know? Tell me about one of those visits that made you think this is an okay thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> just... Since you and I have talked, we have a mutual friend, and she said, I went to a psychic yesterday, and the psychic said, you have a friend whose brother passed away, and her brother was big. And the thing about my brother is that he was six foot nine, and he weighed about 300 pounds. Like, he was a big guy, and he had a big personality. She said, your friend, her name starts with an L, and uh, she has a brother who passed away who was friends of yours who was big. And he needs you to tell her that the music is him. Oh, my God. It was so weird and random. Let's get out of here. It was, and honestly, like, Ben, I don't really believe in this stuff. <laughs> like, I just really don't. And I just really don't know why she would have called me and made this up. So many signs. This is an amazing story. Is it, though? It is. <laughs> I kind of... It's an amazing story, and I can't believe that <laughs> you didn't... You were surprised when I was interested in your secret. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's actually kind of funny is, like, I just had my experience with my brother, and it was shitty. Like, it was just shitty all the time. Every day, it was hard. It was shitty. I was always feeling like I had to watch my back. Um, but then, 
other people had these amazing experiences with him, like truly life-changing, amazing experiences. Well, it sounds like he actually did connect with a lot of people. Exactly. But for some reason, you were not one of the people he wanted to connect with. Yes. And it's, it's, I think, why I feel so guilty about not being sad that he died. Because I'm just not. Like, I'm just, I just am not sad that he died. I'm just relieved. Well, I can understand why. I don't think you should be too hard on yourself. It was always looking over my shoulder. There would there was always so much drama with my family because of him. And honestly, another reason that makes me sound like less of a jerk now that he's gone and now that I have some perspective on it is because he was just suffering. Like, he just really was suffering. But that's not really why I feel the way I feel. I just feel the way I feel because I was suffering, which is like the big dirty secret. Because you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, you know? Uh, really? Okay. Somebody said that. I don't know. I suppose. (laughs) 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 So, Louise, how does it feel having shared your story? It's still a little scary. But what if people hear me and know who I am and are like, oh my gosh, We thought he was the best, and how could she say this? And, you know, but on the other hand, I feel like really liberated by telling my side of the story. And I mean, not to be super cliche, but maybe someone else will hear my story and not feel so like they're just the worst because they are not devastated that somebody that they were supposed to love who treated them like shit passed away. Well, your story is your truth, and I don't think anybody can take that from you, and You know, there's no reason for you to hide it. You're just protecting him. Yeah. I don't think he's earned that from you. Uh, you know, that's true. I think I'm kind of protecting myself, too, from the people who tell me that, like, I am wrong to feel how I feel. Yeah, but But, they're not not right. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. I don't don't think you're wrong. And and maybe if if they hear the full story, you know, they'll come around. Yeah. Right. And it is, it is, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to make myself feel better by telling this story. I'm just trying to tell the story. I guess, though, it is kind of liberating to just tell it and have somebody be like, gosh, that sounds really fucked up. (laughs) Well, you're right about that. (laughs) Yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Well, Louise, thank you so much for sharing your story in the secret room. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You're welcome. Louise endured psychological abuse from her brother while he was alive, and now feels peace in his death. But she also has to deal with the complexities of those feelings and the long shadow her brother casts, even in the afterlife. If you have a secret to share, send it to me now through our website, secretroompod.com. Just click the Share a Secret button. Your favorite indie podcast that could comes to you every other Tuesday night from Washington, D.C. Join me again next time when another brave soul steps forward to share an amazing secret just for you. This is The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Hamm. <laughs>